Good morning. I'll try to get this thing all put together here. All right. It's wonderful to be here. Wonderful to be together. I think uh, in January, we had 21 days of prayer and fasting at Lifehouse Church. And I think you all did too, sometime around there. And there was a Zoom prayer meeting that many of you were on and prayed for us during that time. So I just want to say thank you for that. I was greatly encouraged. That was a great evening of prayer, even though it was through Zoom. So thank you for that. First week of Ben's sabbatical. My job is not to mess it up, all right? So uh, I'm trying not to do that. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. I'm also going to ask you to pray for yourselves, all right? Because uh, seriously, we need God's grace, which is available. And He's here and He's among us. And uh, so, as Israel said, Michelle, my wife's with me. I'm thrilled with that. We have two kids that are older. They're not going to be going out to any kids' class. But I have a son who lives in Brooklyn, New York, and a daughter who lives in Tennessee with us. Uh, Heather lives with us. Two grandchildren. Uh, when I say lives with us, she lives in the same city as we do. Okay? Uh, married, has two, we have two grandchildren. So, yeah. We found ourselves in North Carolina often. It's kind of one of our happy places. So we love to be in the mountains of uh, Western North Carolina, and we're going there after this. So I'm thrilled to, to do that. So uh, now that you're all comfortable and seated, I'm going to ask you to stand as I'm going to read God's Word. I have quite a long scripture, so now it's just to honor God's Word. And if you're not able, that's fine. Um, but we're just going to read as uh, you can follow along. I hope it'll be on the screen. If not, it's in your Bible. 1 Timothy. I'm going to read all of chapter 1 and the first seven verses of chapter 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which may, they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it awfully, understanding this, that the law is, laid, is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. Verse 12. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith 
and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge you, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now that's a lot. But there's much treasure in God's word. And the Bible says every word of it's useful and helpful. So I'm going to ask us as we just pray, even at the beginning, kind of, would you place a hand on yourself, just on your own, just say, God, I want, I'm going to pray, Lord, I want everything that you have for me today. Lord, we just open our hearts and our minds. We thank you that your word is alive and it's useful and it doesn't return void. And Lord, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, even though you're here, we ask you to come. Come into our hearts, fill us up, even as we unpack your word. We pray this in Christ's authority. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right, I'm kicking off uh, kind of this series during Ben's sabbatical, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, kind of going through that. So I thought it would be good if I brought a little context in what's happening between Paul and Timothy. So, first of all, Paul and Barnabas had traveled to Lystra, and you can go to Acts 14 and read about that, but they've gone on their first missionary journey, and that's where he met Timothy. That's where, if you remember, the crippled was, uh, the, the one who was crippled from birth was healed, and uh, crowds began immediately to worship Paul and Barnabas. They put an end to that, but then favor turned to anger really quickly, and Jews from Iconium came. And uh, the, the Scripture says that Paul was ended up being dragged out of the city and beaten and left for dead. And that was Timothy's introduction to the gospel. All right? Was, was, was witnessing that. We know that Paul was impressed by Timothy's sincere faith. And you'll this will be unpacked later in... Uh, in 2 Timothy, it talks about a sincere faith that's been handed down. I mean, we just celebrated Mother's Day, handed down from 
his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice and how Timothy had this sincere faith. So we know that Paul was impressed with that. Paul's traveling. He's traveling about. He's planting new churches. And he's gathered a team around himself. And Timothy is part of that team. All right, He's brought Timothy in to this team. He's been mentoring, discipling Timothy for some time now. Many, many years. By the writing of 1 Timothy. So as we, we go on, there's a, there's a deep relationship between Paul and Timothy in, the, in that he calls him my true child in the faith. And so I just want <clears throat> to, there's a lot there. So I was praying about this meeting. I just felt to hone in on a few verses. But typically we rush right past greetings in, in Scripture. And I just want to look at the first couple of verses. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior. First of all, that catches us a little bit because we're used to Jesus our Savior, but this, this is God our Savior. It's used four or five times in the New Testament. It's all. So uh, God ultimately, we're looking to Him, sent His Son Jesus, and uh, God our Savior in Christ Jesus our hope. It says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And that's, that's really the question that we want to look at first is how did Timothy, how did Timothy and Paul, how did this happen? How did this relationship between them develop over the years? What, what took place and what can we learn about discipleship? I thought somebody, Susan was talking about a, a meeting that's going to be happening on Tuesday nights through the summer, diving deep into discipleship. That word's been hijacked by some people to mean negative things, but we're, we're using it in a positive sense, growing in the faith, and, and we'll look at that, but what's happened in that? So first point, if you're a note taker, uh, is this, that I, I would say training happens in and through the local church, all right? Training happens in and through the local church. First of all, we remind ourselves that God's plan on planet Earth is to build his church. He said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so uh, we remind ourselves that the greatest thing on planet earth is the gathered church. It's the, it's the most exciting. You never know what's going to happen. You never know if the power is going to go out. You never know uh, what's going to happen. But also you never know because God is in our midst who he's highlighting, what he's doing, who he's rescuing, what amount of grace he's pouring out, unlimited favor on us. We can be changed in a moment, which is what God does. And so this book is written to churches. Even it just when it's always written to, it's like the church at Ephesus, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Colossae. It's written to a group of believers who've gathered to the living God. It's, and even when it says in places, you can have the mind of Christ, it's talking plural. Those verbs are plural. It's together we can have that. So it's the context of the, the local church. And Paul's invested time into Timothy. And that, that's what I was... There's, there's time been invested, this relationship, this phrase that we could just rush right past. My true child in the faith. What's taking place? That's not just a saying. That's not just like uh, we mean sometimes when we might say hello or, you know, this is my brother. There's some meat behind this. 
There's some investment. And the question I have is, who's been investing into your life? Who are you investing into? It's like, what can we, what can we learn? Who, thinking about this is, what can we get out of this? What can we learn? And there's a, a guy I think some of you have met. His name's Carl Harrington. And uh, uh, I think he's been to this church, hasn't he? I'm sure he has. Carl, when I was a young guy, uh, I was in my early 20s. I had a brother. I had two brothers that are uh, eight years older and 10 years older than I. And then there was me. And so my middle brother, the one that was eight years older, was a hemophiliac, which is an internal bleeding uh, disorder. And so if he gotten hit or bruised, he would bleed and his blood wouldn't clot. And so he had to take the clotting substance back in that day uh, in the 80s. That we had to learn how to give that to him or, or literally he could, he could bleed to death and things. And so uh, all of the hemophiliacs in Kansas City, which is where I was born, contracted AIDS because of the blood bank. It, it was, and every one of them uh, contracted AIDS through the blood bank. And so we went through a season of him being very, very sick. And this was in the early 80s before anybody knew how to care really for that. And at, at where he was, nurses didn't even want to really go in the room and, and care for him. There was, so we would take turns, family. My dad actually left work and cared for him. And then, sorry. And then I would put our young kids, well, Michelle and I would put our young kids to sleep. At about 8.30 or 9.30, I would head to the hospital, which was downtown Kansas City, about a 30-minute drive from where we live. And Carl oftentimes would call me and just say, hey, you want someone to go with you tonight? And I would think, I'm going to be there till 2 in the morning or, or 3 in the morning. because it's my." And he would just ride with me. He would just, he would just come along. And he didn't have to, but he just invested in me. And uh, I mean, I had to teach him some things. Like you don't leave the car running and the doors open at the convenience store at one in the morning in downtown Kansas City. Carl's from South Louisiana where they do all that stuff. But uh, I'm like, Carl, this isn't, this isn't there. We have to shut the doors and lock it here. But, uh, but I was so grateful for the investment. And there was a relationship that built. Over time, and there was an investment that he made, and I'm I'm grateful for that. So that's a question: uh, Who are you investing in? And then we see Acts 16, Paul's second missionary journey, where he goes, and uh, I think this will be on the screen. Yeah, Acts 16, one to three. It says Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of, because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And again, what can we learn about these things? Uh, from discipleship. What can we learn? First of all, it was five years. It was five years between Acts 14 and Acts 16, between Paul's first missionary journey and his second missionary journey. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt overlooked? 
Have you ever felt like, okay, God, I'm committing my life to you. I want you to use me in some way. I want you to do that. I'm sincere in my faith. And then five years goes by. Has anyone ever felt like that? Terry Virgo would say things like, uh, well, Psalm 1, I think it's 127, I think. Yeah, Psalm 127 that says children are like arrows in, in the hands to be shot. But sometimes arrows are stuck in a quiver. It's like they're perfectly good arrows. They have a sharp point. They have a shaft. They have feathers. They're ready to be launched. But all this, they're stuck in a quiver and it's dark. And uh, it, you can be thinking, what's going on? Well, Timothy went through a season and that's part of local church. Local church is a proving and a preparation place. That's what it is. It's the, pl- it's the place. Timothy, it's five years that he's going through there. And we, we're excited. We get, I get excited about training up and seeing leaders raised up and released. And I get excited about discipleship. But uh, we use an acronym around our uh, place called, and we, it's just FAST. How do we grow? How do we move on? How do we run this race that God's called us to run? And we can see things in Timothy in this, in this Acts 16, 1, to, 1 through 3 passage. We see that he's faithful, if you're taking notes. That's the F in fast. Available, submitted, and teachable. And again, this is all about, as we, as we start this series, looking through Timothy, walking through, how can we grow in discipleship? How can we grab on to all God has for us? And we can see in Timothy's life, he was faithful. It says in Acts, we just read the Acts 16 verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Verse 1 says, uh, Paul came to Derby, a disciple was there. So he was clearly recognized as one who was a follower, committed. And, and, and he was doing that. He was an overcomer of personal problems. You can see that in Timothy just from that, that verse. It says that his mother was a Jewish Christian and his father was a Greek. And most commentaries say he was worshiping the God of Diana. He had a, basically a problem at home. And Timothy was able to overcome that. He was teachable. One of the greatest hindrances in growing is this. I know. Right? It's like it creeps up in us at times, right? I know. Or maybe you're here. I've heard First Timothy before. I know. I've heard the word decide. I know. That's one of the greatest hindrances. We see in the life of Timothy, he was, he was teachable. He was faithful. He was a disciple. He was willing. He was submitted. And that's not a popular word anymore. And I read that and I'm thinking, I don't know if I would have answered that way. It says this. It says, we just read this, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and so he took him and he circumcised him. Now, I, I think I'm a submitted guy, <laughs> but I'm not sure I would have said, okay, Paul, let's go. You know, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I, I don't think I would have. I'm just telling you, I'm being honest. I'm not sure I would have. But we learned something about Timothy, right? Like, he's serious. He's met the living God and it's changed him. And it is changing him. And how it looks is commitment to God and commitment to one another. Like there is a, there's both. It's like commitment to God 
and a commitment. He was a faithful man. There's a quote. Well, I'm not going to get, sorry, not yet. Um, I want to say this about, I, I think, young people. Too often, young people think they have to leave the local church scene to go do something great for God. And it's one of the reasons that in, the, in Confluence in Southeast, we have a gap, a gap year team that's, that's running. So we want to see people do something great in the context of local church, making a difference. We're not, not realize we don't have to go off somewhere, but we can, we can be involved in local church. So that's what we see happening in Scripture. That's what we see happening in the life of Timothy. And that's why um, we're doing those things. Number two, we can learn about discipleship through these, just this true, true child in the faith, is training begins with the disciple's attitude. All right? Uh, There's a difference between a pupil or a student and a disciple. And we're kind of trying to take back those words because I believe God's called us all to be disciples, right? And so there's a difference. A student wants information. Why? To pass the test, all right? That's what what we want. A disciple is a learner with an expectation that that responsibility, that's going to play out in their life. It's going to change the way that they live. There's a difference. Are we students just wanting information? Or are we disciples, we're learners, applying that that's changing the whole of our life? That's what we see in the life of Timothy. And this is the quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. I think it'll be on the screen. Discipleship is not a mere profession of faith or a casual commitment to Jesus. It is wholehearted surrender to Him, a complete submission to His Lordship, and a lifelong pursuit of conformity to His image. Martin Lloyd-Jones. That hits me at times. So what's the difference between a disciple and a Christian? Is everyone that's a Christian a disciple? These are good questions for your small groups or Tuesday night. What makes a person a disciple? Maybe a better question, what makes you a disciple? Thinking about our attitudes. So Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus because there's problems. We read the content. There's false teachers. And they're going on and on about endless genealogies and myths and talking like they know everything and, and, uh, and all this. And, and he's built this relationship, there's this commitment between them that Paul can entrust a great church with problems going on to Timothy. And so that's the context. And then the next verse is their grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. That's verse 3 in 1 Timothy 1. I'll tell you, Ben gave me a lot of scripture and I just can't do it all. I just, I, I just, is where I'm at. But I just want you to know, we can't just rush past this. Grace, mercy, and peace. And oftentimes, uh, we just kind of run past that. Paul is sending Timothy on a difficult mission. And he knows that he's going to need grace and mercy and peace. And grace is difficult to define, but I'm going to try, okay? It's unmerited favor, but it's more than that. It's... God's riches at Christ's expense. But it's more than that. It's free salvation. 
but it's more than that. It implies, the Greek usage in this, in, in this grace, it implies this, that the recipient has no ability on their own to accomplish the task. And it's only by God's grace. So we need grace because we have no other option. That's, it just, it, we could go on and on, but the grace of God is bigger than we can define. It's amazing. It's God's power working on our behalf when we can't. That's probably the best, I think, definition of grace that that struck me. I think John Lamperman is one I heard say that. But God's grace is God's power working on our behalf when we can't. I want to say this. If you've come this morning, maybe you're just looking in to what following Jesus is all about. Maybe maybe you think, well, I I, I can't do that. Or I can't. That's the beautiful thing. God has done it. He makes available. It's His power that works on our behalf when we can't. That's the power of God. And Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, hey, church at Timothy, you need God's grace. I need God's grace. We need God's grace. It's not, many of us probably are in here this morning with difficult situations. And if you don't have a difficulty right now, guess what? You're going to have one. Because this life is difficult. But God gives grace. That's the, that's the scripture. So grace, grace, right? And so mercy, healthy view of mercy. Sometimes mercy can like defeat, our, defeat our egos. Like, well, mercy. Um, it does. When you have a healthy view of your own need, mercy looks really attractive. We need God's mercy. Peace. And this isn't just have a happy life, peace. This is, people need to know they're at odds with the holy God. Like God, people need to know there's a, there's a, a, there's a gap. There's a problem between us and God. And Paul's coming, you need the peace. You need reconciliation with God. And if you've come in this morning thinking, what is the gospel? The gospel means that by God's work on a cross through Jesus, that his punishment and his death paid a ransom for you and I, and we can be reconciled to God. And the good news is great because the bad news is so bad. And we need that. But we can, be, we can have peace, not just happy life peace, but reconciliation with the Holy God. A future in heaven. Okay, I'm going to move on. Chapter 2, 1 to 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. He kind of covers every form of prayer, right? Supplications, requests, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving. Uh, And this is something that just jumped out at me. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing to God. Number the, uh, The fourth point, I think, if you're taking notes, is prayer is key for gospel advance. Paul says, I urge you. He says, I urge you. I want you to pray. Prayer is a major part of the church's ministry. All right? And it should be purposeful. It's, uh, we pray for Uncle Joe, but, it, uh, but it's even more than that. We're praying for gospel advance. So we pray for believers. We do make supplications and prayers, and we pray for one another, and we do this. But together, we're praying for gospel advance. And I think sometimes... 
when we read a phrase like that, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, we can think, okay, God, it's about me and me leading a quiet life. And I want you to know what Paul is, that context there is gospel advance. Paul goes on, he says, he says at the end, of which I'm appointed a preacher, an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm, I'm, I've been sent to the Gentiles, right? So he's, he's praying that the context, the climate of the environment where the gospel could spread would be peaceful. Because we know the gospel advances in times when it's not peaceful, but that is not ideal. Ideal is Paul's traveling. He's traveling about. And so we can read phrases like that. So, okay, so me in Kernersville or me in Nashville, we can just have a quiet and peaceful life. Not, not at all. It's like we're praying that the climate is peaceful, that those in authority make it, that we're able to see the gospel advance. For Paul, you'll see this is all about gospel advance. And so when we see things like that, we know prayer is important, but we can't just take it to be, oh, Lord, bless me and help me to have peace this week. That's good, and he does. But he's caught us up into something bigger. That's why we're, getting, we're, we're on mission together. And that's what you see in Paul and Timothy, and I hope that's what we see as we grow in relationship together. Uh, this is fun for me. It really is to see uh, church in Nashville church in Kernersville, uh, partnering together to see gospel advance. And Celebration Southeast, that's not just a good conference to, to go to. That's churches coming together for gospel advance. And like things are happening around the world because of the Southeast, because of what God's doing in this. Things are happening in Mozambique. Things are happening in Kernersville. Things are happening in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Things are happening because of the strength and the prayers that are provided one to another. I better move on. All right? So, uh, I always end a message with, so what? Uh, somebody said I should end pretty soon, so um, I'm going to do that. We can have the band come, and uh, I always end a message with this question, so what? All right, JP, you've made some points here. Uh, we need grace, mercy, and peace. Prayer, prayer is important. It's the work, work of this. We, we, uh, so what? Here's what we want to be. We want to, we want to be not just hearers of the word. We want to be doers. We want, we want to respond to what God's saying. We wor- this whole meeting this morning is worship. So we worship as we come in. That's a sacrifice, right? We could be sleeping. <laughs> and so we worship while we come in. We worship when we sing. We worship as we study God's word. And then we worship as we respond to God's word. It's all worship. And we've come this morning to worship, and I don't want you to just like check out. I'm, I'm really asking you, just as we prayed for ourselves at the beginning, God, I want all the grace. I want everything you've got for me this morning. The first so what is this. You can be reconciled to God. All right? He's made a way. The message of the gospel is the love of God has made a way. A way that you can be reconciled with God. He's paid that ransom. He, we can see in Timothy, he brought him into the ultimate uh, relationship with God and a life of meaning and purpose, and that's available to each and every one of us. And that's the first so what. And if you're here this morning and 
you're out of sorts with God that, to know this. You don't have to clean yourself up. God does that. We, we come as we are. It's His grace. It's His power working on our behalf that does this miracle. And that miracle provides us an incredible life now. But it also guarantees a future for us. And my brother that eventually died of AIDS, I'm going to see him again. Because he was reconciled to the living God. And so it means great things for this life, but it means great things for the next life. And I invite you to be reconciled. Don't just pass over that. Maybe God's stirring in you a passion for gospel advance. Maybe there's something burning in you. We talk about discipleship. People investing in you or you investing in others. You think, I want to grow in that. The response is this. Any of the responses, Lord, I need more of your grace. I need more of your grace. I need more of your power working because I can't do this. I can't reconcile myself with you. Right? I can't stir up passion for gospel advance. God, you've got to do that. And I'm not sure I have what it takes for discipleship, but God, I need your grace. And so this is the response this morning. If you feel God stirring you in any of those areas, I'm just going to ask you, in a minute we're all going to stand together and sing, but I'm just going to ask you, like God, just as, a, just as kind of a confession to God, Lord, I want more of your unlimited grace. And I need more of your unlimited grace. And I, I need it. I, I, want, I want to grow in this area of discipleship as we enter in this series. I, I want to invest in others and I want to get what they're investing in me. I want to get it all. I want to see this church. I want to see us grow together. And I need God's grace. You need God's grace. I just, I'm going to ask you just as the band's playing just now, if, if that's you, just where you're at, would you just stand just before God? Just saying, God, I'm, I'm just confessing. I need more of your grace. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hmm. Father, we're, we're not here to just go through motions. Lord, we're not here to just be friendly, check a box. We're not here. We're here to meet with the living God. And thank you, God, that you're here to meet with us. And Lord, I thank you that your grace reached my brother Mike. I thank you that your grace reached me in the pit of sin. You brought me out. And Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, whether it's discipleship or opening our eyes to gospel advance or, Lord, just the amazing miracle of reconciliation with you, God. I pray, grace, grace. I just speak it over us. Grace, grace. Grace, grace. Lord, let your grace abound in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, I pray a blessing on us of receiving this grace. Lord, I pray you would open as it were, our chest, that we could receive more 
of your amazing grace. Lord, we just want to soak in it. Soak in you. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We say yes to you. We pray that in Jesus' authority.